All right, welcome to Sound Body Wisdom. This is Jacqueline, and I get to be here with Sam Fisher again to engage in beautiful conversation. Hi, Sam. Hello. So, so Sam and I have been talking about the power of belief and how it shapes what we call our reality and working with visualization and imagination. And it was kind of funny, he was just saying that it's kind of fun having these conversations because we have different language. And he was like, yeah, it's great. You, you, Jack, might say mind-body, but yeah, those words are not going to come out of my mouth, which I love that, you know. And I think that makes me think immediately how, yeah, the the words mind-body are not a part of everybody's vernacular or their their template. And, and so I feel inclined. It's like, yeah, maybe that wouldn't come out of your mouth, but yet you live a mind-body experience every moment of the day. So even though perhaps that label doesn't come to mind, it's, it's like everybody's like superpower. It's everybody's living experience. So Jack, mind-body for you, does this refer to simply the mind and the body as like an interconnected mechanism for doing everything that we do? Yeah, absolutely. Is this the mind body? Yeah, it's there. There was a point, you know, back in time, where science and the medical fields, you know, decided to separate them out. And I think what science is now able to measure, and what we're discovering, especially I'd say in the last ten years, definitely in the last twenty years, is that they're inseparable. Like when you say body, you're inherently referring to mind as well. And when you say mind, you're inherently referring to body because they're so interwoven. They're so, there, there is not one without the other. So it's linguistically like using it as if it's one word. So mind body is absolutely, it's a reminder. It's saying we, these, these are woven together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love using that and saying it all the time because it's even a reminder for me that because I'm certainly indoctrinated in the separation, even though what's living and breathing it within me is non-separation. So using that term is like asking me to stay awake, tap into my resources, like acknowledge it, you know, daily, moment to moment, um, not just when I need it you know, like as a tool in a moment of stress or empowerment, but use it as my daily hygiene, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe that sounds funny to use the word hygiene, but it's like we brush our teeth and like we bathe and we do these things that are like basic taking care of this this entity that's us, right? And yet we don't think about the mindfulness or the hygiene around our thoughts or the hygiene around our emotions. We sort of just take them as like, well, this is just the way it is. Or it's something that just happens to us. And I'm I'm 100% a believer in you get to participate. It's All of this is participatory. Nothing just happens. And we get to engage. And, you know, I'd say for most of us in the way our thinking has been designed, you know, by society and what's been paid forward is not one of sort of this inner resource and empowerment. 
some of us, you know, might have had been introduced to it and been able to tap into it or maybe not at all or but in terms of really claiming it, this this inner resource, mind body potential for working with your thoughts, your emotions, your belief systems, your mindsets, your perceptions, like your ability to engage these in intervene and shape yeah it's everybody is fully invited to participate but 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 i understand there's an there's a certain obstacle to move past the old mindset of thinking that you can't you know what i mean like we sort of get raised with like this is just who you are you know or just suck it up or just move on there's other things to, to figure out you know more important things and I would probably make the case that there's nothing more important than this like ba basic hygiene, this fundamental resource to take care with it. I mean, if we change the oil in our car, it's like, oh my gosh, why wouldn't you be working with the, the fluid of the emotions and the thoughts and how it's, what it's doing for that, the system, our body inside. Uh -huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, so there's mind, body, two kinds of nouns. There's mind-body, the concept, the idea that the mind and body are connected, which is simple enough. It's sort of a, a statement of fact. Uh -huh. This is what is. There's mind-body, you have one and I have one. A mind-body, <laughs> a collection of mind-bodies walking down the street. Yeah, <laughs> so great. And then there's, there's mind-body... The tool set, mind body, the... They're mind body tools. The, yeah, the collection of things which you do based on the fact that you have a mind body, such as using the analogies of things you would do for upkeep of your body or upkeep yeah. of things around you. It's, it's a, a system that absolutely interfaces uh, seamlessly one with another. There is, there is no where this one ends and this one begins. There is a seamless engagement and interaction that is a constant feedback loop, n continuous, and they, they are d we are designed in that way. So yeah, we are these mind-body entities, organisms, like moving through time and space, and there are mind-body tools. Mm -hmm. um, and it's great to sort of differentiate that because it's like, yeah, like I use my toothbrush to do this, or I use, you know, water to bathe in this way, or I put oil in my car, and it's like, okay, so I can engage this sort of awareness practice to notice my thoughts, or I can take time to see how my body's feeling, which is going to inform me about what my emotions are doing, or I can see how I respond to a situation. Again, things often come back to awareness and say, wow, what is my belief system that's at play when I'm perceiving what's happening around me? If you can actually become aware of it, then you can question it and say, is this serving me? Is this, how does this, does this nourish my body? Because ultimately, you know, I, I've been really feeling committed to this, that we are light making machines. We are designed to move towards light, to move towards growth. Like our nature is to grow and adapt. Like it's a really amazing design that we have. And what we, we see constantly with how our cells behave in our biology is that we're constantly working towards homeostasis. And I love the, the definition of homeostasis is that which is a tendency toward an equilibrium between interdependent elements. So we have this system of interdependent elements and homeostasis is that we're, we're, is a tendency towards 
an equilibrium between all of these systems, all of these elements within us. And that can get sort of pulled in any number of directions based on the way our thoughts or our emotions or certain habits um, and perceptions that get become just habitual, these patterns, how they can pull us away from homeostasis. And we're well equipped to move away from homeostasis and then move back towards it. But oftentimes we kind of get stuck with staying out of balance, you know, or in these cycles that keep us out of balance through thought. So as light making machines, we're, we're constantly moving towards homeostasis, this tendency for equilibrium. We are light. We are light. So when we talk about the mind body, mm -hmm. like we, uh, you and I, are approaching it with a, a certain kind of agenda. It's not like a purely scientific or neutral approach where we're simply trying to describe things. There's, there's an implicit sense of wanting to enable people to do something, of having a, a hope or an optimism for what you want to give people the tools to achieve which is where I think this sense of positivity and light begins to take shape. And I think what you're saying is that perhaps this sense of the positive is implicit within the nature of a human being. Mm -hmm. The want to be compassionate mm -hmm. dwells inside of each of us. The want to, towards a sense of balance, mm -hmm. towards a lot of things, like many concepts we could point to evoke the same basic idea of light. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more a visualization that I'm going to meet life and my different beliefs or my perceptions, notice what challenges me, notice what diminishes my light, notice what um, takes me away from what feels like balance. And it creates a trust in me that it's like, oh, I can, I can move towards these tools, these mind-body tools, that help me connect to what is light, to what is my natural design and desire mm. to be in equilibrium, to be mm -hmm. in homeostasis, that I can trust that. And, and our belief, you know, as we come full circle, talking about how our beliefs create our reality. When we really truly believe something, everything starts being guided by that belief. Um, it can be about anything. It can be about a test you're going to take. It could be about your relationship. It could be about how you walk in the world and wanting to feel like more trust. Um, it's like our belief systems make it our, our reality. So I, I want to believe like that. Yeah, this is true. Like from everything I've researched, everything. So taking all the science, yeah, taking the science and combining it with my deep intuition that I'm, I'm constantly cultivating, you know, getting out of my own way to hear on a cellular level, like uh, not just a, a mind thinking mind level, but that deep other place that we feel in our gut, you mm -hmm. know, I'm, I'm going to let that be the guiding the guiding light, you know, the, the compass that I'm following. And, and that constantly will transform me because then it's like things spiral towards the positive. They spiral towards the light. Mm. You know, there's research and, and, and things that I've read that talk about, you know, there's almost like a tipping point 
between sort of negative thought patterns or positive thought patterns. And that when we engage more often in negative thought patterns, we kind of learn those patterns so that we start spiraling towards when anything's happening, just going towards like it's raining and Mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, you see the negative in it. Or it could be the smallest thing and you keep spiraling towards a negative. Whereas if we can consciously engage positive thought patterns like raining, okay, I might get wet. It's not my favorite, but all right. You know, you can, you can change the spin on it Mm -hmm. and whatever the situation is that then you're training yourself to spin more towards the positive. Mm -hmm. And those, I mean, I'm sure anybody listening or you can imagine we all can have these negative thought patterns and how that feels in our body, how it changes our mood, how it changes how we even walk and our body language as opposed to when we genuinely sort of have a a positive spin or a positive thought pattern where it's like you're choosing to be empowered. You're choosing to meet the adversity of the situation and say, okay, how can I change my feeling about this? How can I meet this? What can I learn from this situation? It's a different mindset. And then how that feels in your body, in your mood. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are really, there are two tools I rely on all the time to kind of help me um, do these sorts of meeting situations that would call up a negative thought pattern um, or doing doing so in a way that you get to make an intentional choice about it um, and uh, constantly making sure that you get the opportunity, you make the opportunity for yourself uh-huh. to have the choice instead of giving it away to time and circumstance. And, you know, watching your life unfold in front of you yeah. instead of being in the driver's seat. So, like, the two things that I always do to make sure that I can do that is that, um, firstly, I'm able to make truly neutral observations yeah. of things that are descriptive and useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and even within that, you know, one begins to describe things by what they think the most, like, useful parameters of that thing are for the decision they have to make. So this is intrinsically already starting to be a little biased, but I'm trying to counteract that by looking at all the dimensions of the thing that I'm looking at. Totally. So if I'm in the theater and I'm designing a show and I encounter something that doesn't sit quite right with me, mm-hmm. What I try to do is bite into that moment mm-hmm. and really encounter the thing that is, is driving me nuts instead of wanting to turn away from it and say, cut it, and yeah. that's bad. I try to really spend the energy to observe it and feel out what's wrong with that, which requires leaning in when you want to lean away. Yeah, I say that so often. I'm you like, know? lean into it. Make a relationship with it. So, and then I, I make my observation. I try to, to clearly describe mm-hmm. what the thing is. Yeah. What's going on objectively outside yep. of me? And then what's going on inside of me mm-hmm. at the same time? Because mm-hmm. those are almost separate things, you know? That's brilliant. I mean, t- those are some of the tools that I, you know, often share with people or take time to, to describe. And I call it being the neutral observer. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, you have to have awareness first, right? So the foundation of everything is just developing that sense of awareness noticing that there's something you're butting up against. So you had that. You've got the awareness to be like, okay, something's ruffling my feathers or something's 
pissing me off or something's agitating me, whatever it is, whatever the experience is. And then you can go to that next step, which is like, okay, I'm going to engage my neutral observer. And that observer in you isn't attached to a story, isn't attached to, it doesn't have an agenda, right? It's able to observe. It's able to be in this neutral place of like, oh, huh, that's interesting. Oh, and just kind of almost make a checklist of of observations of qualities of the situation. Mm. And the other cool thing about that is often, you know, you can engage a very simple tool of labeling how you feel. So when you label your emotion, um, you have this area of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And it's, you know, all of this is sort of just putting it in a nutshell, but that's more sort of the rational mind, right? And then we have other parts of the brain, like the deep limbic system, that's considered more of the emotional sort of systems and areas of the brain. So oftentimes a situation can happen and we can go right to that emotional reaction or more emotionally fueled thoughts come in body responses or stress response. And when you label it and by being the observer and start saying, oh, I'm noticing this, oh, I'm noticing this, you're keeping one foot in the door of the prefrontal cortex. So you're not just a wash in the limbic system. You're able to diminish the activity of that emotional area and just stay a little more calm. Like the, the, the prefrontal cortex lets you feel like you have more control, you know, which is super helpful in terms of the chemistry, like all the hormones and biochemicals that get released towards a stress response or a, a less like stress response or even a relaxation response. So we can respond really well to a sense of control and being able to sort of define it. But either way, when, when, you, when you interrupt just an emotional reaction or uh, an automatic reaction, you have more choice. You can then decide, well, how do I want to meet this situation? Um, so you're like using those tools, then that's brilliant, right? And when you're the observer, the other cool thing is that's also, I think, when we can see somebody else's perspective or understand how at any given moment there's multiple possibilities, right, to how we can respond, somebody else can respond, different choices that can happen. And I think the other thing you said that I really appreciated was like leaning into it because I, across the board, feel like lean into, lean into any part of ourselves. I feel like I always see this image of just drawing it close, like putting my arm around, if it's a sadness, if it's an anger, if it's a agitate, whatever it is that is not considered a warm and fuzzy feeling or thought, I want to draw it close. I don't want to push it away because I want to know how to ally it. I want to understand that part of me so it can integrate into the whole because it's energy, right? And when we separate ourselves out like oh this this feeling is welcome but this this feeling's not welcome and it's sort of like eventually those parts of you they're they're gonna pound harder so it's kind of fun to give them like a personality and personify them because then for me at least i understand then how i can have a relationship with them Hmm. with boundaries it doesn't mean my anger gets to just do whatever the heck it wants it's it's like i find ways when my anger isn't triggered to spend time and get to know it I know how to work with it when it's there, how to find compromise, how to, so there's a lot of juiciness in like what you're talking about. These are like, to me, these are our superpowers. These are our tools, right? Of being light making machines 
So instead of kind of being imprisoned by maybe ways that you might have dealt with those same situations before, like really being trapped in thought loops or mm. just habits, right? Mm -hmm. We have to bring our awareness to discern, is there a habit running and does it nourish me? Or does it do harm? Does it deplete me? And you get to make a choice around maintaining the habit or letting it unwind and introducing a new habit. So this situation, you know, with work, you, you've been able to say, oh, I think the ways I used to respond, maybe that wasn't nourishing. And I'm going to participate here and, and see if I can find a more nourishing way to be, which ends up being long-term way more sustainable because of the messages it sends to your body, your cells. So the next, the next step, well, now we've done our neutral observation. And, and we know sort of everything about neutral mm -hmm. observation. Mm -hmm. um, is, yes, I have the power to transform this. Yeah. You know? Yes! And, like, choosing the road that it's going to go down. Creating a path for forward for this thing. Right. You're, you're opening up possibility. You're creating possibility as opposed to narrowing it down into a tunnel or a chute where it can only go one direction. With this, you're saying, I'm opening it up to so many other possibilities. And I'm trusting myself enough to go, to go with that. And trusting that, you know, you can continue to observe it. And that's incredible. And within the process of living or the process of design... There are very few true brick walls that we hit. I agree. It's when we run up against something that feels like a brick wall mm -hmm. and instantly call it one. Yeah. That we get into and trouble. And then it is a brick wall when we call it that. But the moment we can sort of like realize that we can suddenly see, oh, I can walk around the brick wall. Or, oh, there's a door in the brick wall. Or I can, there's a hill next to the wall and I can climb over this and climb over the wall. That there's all these, po again, back to possibilities. S that it's not static. And I, and I like that, remembering that always. That nothing, we are not static beings. We're never static. We're always changing, always growing. So we're constantly adapting and never static. And so, yeah, this ability to see infinite possibility. And, and, and I know that even as I create, you know, what I think you called optimism or this idea of possibility, right? This flow of what's possible. There's infinite more possibilities beyond what I can even imagine. Mm. Right. And I think that can bring us right to what we were talking about, you know, earlier around the power of visualization and imagination and just that they're so intimately linked, right? Our imagination is what can fuel visualization and visualization talks to our it t talks to ourselves it talks to our biology it creates what we can believe in you know I was mentioning that story of, about that runner in the 50s right it was kind of this accepted belief that nobody could run a mile in under four minutes and I don't know how much the story has been inflated but it goes that he like part of his training was to do incredible visualization to like see it happening to like feel it in his body. What does it feel like to do that and feel the speed in his muscles and every detail of feeling it happen to the point where he was kind of blurring his own reality. He's like, okay, did it already happen? Did I already do it? Did I already break the record? And he ended up, he did break the record. 
And then that year, I think it was like 26 or 24 more people broke the record because that brick wall, he basically said, what brick wall? There is no wall. Limit? There is no limit. And it let everybody else know that it, it kind of popped a little hole in this belief system of you can't break the four minute, you know, go under four minutes. It was like a cap that got put on. But he showed, he created that possibility, opened the blinders for people to see that it was possible. And that sent a message to their bodies. And then they physically could achieve it because they believed it. And, you know, there's lots of examples of that, you know, and how we might use visualization to help us and not even realize it, you know, throughout our days or for a big test. But the same way where visualization can help us move towards the things we want to manifest, create in our lives, towards how we want to feel in our bodies, it can also become a pattern where you see limitations. You just see brick walls or you get into negative thought loops. Mm -hmm. So using visualization as like your cool superpower to move your life in, in, into possibility, into the light towards homeostasis, towards just being a rock star thriving life. Like whatever word you want to use. If you're just like, oh, I just, I just want to feel a little bit better. Great visualization. I want to achieve these great visualization. Like mind body can be if there's just some, a few things you want to change or if you really want to do like a big overhaul of your life, you know, it's, it's yours. You can do whatever you want with it is the basic thing. I mean, you can have a car that goes 100 miles an hour, like tool it around town going 25 miles an hour, or you can get on the open highway and open that thing up. It's up to you. It's yours. It's your vehicle. So. I love that. Yeah. And I hope that it's also useful for everybody listening to this. Yeah. Um, it's uh, some of this stuff seems like you're, sort of the things that everybody realizes in their own time but as almost mundane as they can be I feel like talking about them giving a language to them even like starting to codify and creating a syntax out of how you approach these sorts of you know meta meta thinking about life (laughs) topics um, can be super helpful and super worthwhile and of course the best thing about it is it's incredibly applicable to everything you do personally yes. and professionally. Yeah, and my hope would be that it, it's something that people can embrace as something they have with them all the time, that it's, it's not extra special. It's, it is mundane, and it's yours. And learning to just integrate it into your day, just like you're texting or you're on the phone or going to work or eating food, like engaging in how to shift habits and how we think that that's just something that's yours like everything else so yeah i get i get super excited about it and thank you sam for spending this time with me and i always love having conversations with you likewise thank you and thank you everybody for listening and spending this time with us and this has been sound body wisdom take care of yourselves (laughs) 